Well, grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church in our parking lot. It is a joy. I cannot underscore enough how much of a joy it is to see all of you. It has been far too long, more than five months since we've been able to be in person for worship. But perhaps more importantly, it's been five months since we've been able to share communion with each other. So I'm very, very grateful for your presence here in our parking lot. Uh, we're going to have a nice little service of word and sacrament, a few prayers, scripture, a brief homily, and then, of course, communion. So I just want to give you a few instructions. Uh, if you saw online, you need to remain in your cars unless there is an absolute emergency. Uh, you don't have to wear your masks in your car. You're allowed to sing in your car when I sing up here. Uh, at, toward the end of the service, after I pray over the elements of communion, I will come bring them in a basket to you in your car. Uh, they're, they're designed so that there's two lids on top. You probably can't see because you're all far away. But it's a, a small little communion cup, and on the top layer, there's a wafer. It's about the size of a nickel. Uh, that you'll be able to consume. And then the second layer you peel back, there's the grape juice. Now, I know that it's not going to taste like Welsh's own grape juice, and it's not going to taste like King's Hawaiian bread that's chock full of sugar like we're used to, but, you know, whoever said Jesus' body and blood was supposed to taste good? But we'll have that a little bit later in the service. Uh, I am so, so grateful, as I already said, to see you and to be here with you. Uh, this is definitely not something I was ever prepared for. A lot of my friends, clergy friends, have joked. You know, I, I don't remember having a class in seminary about how to be a pastor in a pandemic. But we're all trying to figure it out as we go along. I'm grateful that many of you have been able to tune in with us, whether on Facebook or YouTube or connecting with us through email. And I even have this on Facebook Live right now so that for those who are part of our church who couldn't be here right now, they can watch it now or watch it later. So it's important for us to try to stay connected as much as we can at a time like this when it really feels like all of our connections have been dwindled away. So with that, I'd like to ask you to just uh, bow your heads in your cars, maybe close your eyes for a moment as we continue, uh, continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Lord, are we yet alive? We certainly feel alive. We feel pain and sorrow, even happiness. We, we cry and we wail and we laugh. But are these really signs that we're alive, or are they simply the things we do to deny how our lives will end? We confess, Lord, that we find it hard to believe, to understand that we come to life through being baptized into your Son's good death, that you have made us your baptized, giving us life, Life that makes our pain and sorrow and happiness real. Life that makes our crying, our wailing, our laughing service to you and to one another. We pray then, O Lord, that you might raise us from our own watery graves, shouting, Jesus Christ is Lord, so that the world may see your liveliness, your love, even in people like us. And all God's people say, Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, 
in the 16th chapter, verses 21 through 28. Now hear the word of the Lord. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, that he should be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on earthly things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but they forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their whole life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are Methodists, which means we don't know how to worship without singing. I've been singing either by myself or with Gloria Baltimore. Gloria, I love you. Thank you for coming and playing piano while I play the drums. Uh, but I'm going to lead us in a very easy song, and you can sing along in your cars if you so choose. This is Lord, I Want to Be a Christian. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Lord, I want to be more loving in my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be more loving in my heart. In my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be more loving in my heart. Lord, I want to be more holy in my heart. In my heart, Lord, I want to be more holy in my heart. In my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be more holy in my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. In my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but they lose their life? Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised. But Peter, good old Pete, wasn't having any of it. Um, hey, uh, Jesus, I don't mean to interrupt that great speech you're giving, but are you out of your mind? If you're the Messiah, if you're the one I've confessed you to be, then you know that you can't die. That's losing. And in the kingdom you promised, there's supposed to be nothing but winning. Pete, Jesus says, get out of my way. You're a stumbling block. You've got your head stuck up, not where it's supposed to be. You're thinking about earthly things and not heavenly things. And then Jesus looks out at everybody else. He says, hey, listen up. This is very important. If you want to be part of this whole turning the world upside down business, then your world needs to get flipped upside down right here and right now. If you want to save your lives, go find somebody else. But if you're willing to accept that this life ain't much to begin with, that what actually you're doing can lead to salvation, then follow me. Because in the end, you can be the perfect version of yourself, but it will never compare to what I can do through you. We've struggled with this Jesus mission since the very beginning. This turning the world upside down. And Peter was unable to imagine a strange new world inaugurated in God's Son because he was so wedded to the way things were. And we are no different. I mean, think about parents compelling their kids, you have to go to college, even if they don't want to go. Or think about the rat race of earning more money to buy the bigger house or have the more expensive car. Or the never-ending quest in the realm of the church to produce perfect specimens of Christianity who never make wrong choices, who always make the right choices. Think about, you probably don't hear this, but I hear it all the time, people who want to say, when are we going to reopen the church again? Things can never be the way that they were. They can only ever become what God intends for them to be. Because all those other things, forcing kids to go to college, wanting to have more money, wanting to be perfect Christians, that's all good and fine, but it doesn't have a whole lot to do with Jesus' kingdom. You notice, Jesus doesn't command his followers to take up your crosses and then begin a five-step program toward perfect spiritual formation. He doesn't require his disciples to sit for hours on end studying the scriptures so that all the secrets might be revealed he doesn't compel them to become the best versions of themselves by abstaining from everything wrong in the world. No, the only thing Jesus says is, follow me. Most preachers, myself included, we preach a theology of Peter more than a theology of Jesus, which is just another way of saying we preachers are also wedded to the ways of the world, to the ways we can discern what is and isn't successful and we drop it on our congregations, and we tell people like you to shape up, start reading your Bible every day, fix your problems, pray more, pray harder, all that kind of stuff. But that stuff doesn't amount to a whole lot. Because we preach. We preach a gospel where we can save ourselves, where we are saved by our efforts to live the good and the righteous life. But that is not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is the strange good news that we are not saved by ourselves, but that we are saved in our deaths. 
favorite theologian's name is Karl Barth. He's the greatest theologian of the 20th century. And I've been reading through his sermons during this pandemic because for as much as I'm preaching, I still need to be preached toward. And I was reading one of his sermons last week, and he, it's one of the last sermons he preached in his life. It's in the mid-60s, and he's preaching to prisoners in jail in Basel, Switzerland. And he's standing up there at the end of his life, having written these incredible works of theology, and he looked out at all these prisoners, these murderers, these rapists, all these convicted felons, and he says, all the stuff I've done, all the speeches, all the sermons, all the books, being on the radio, being in the newspaper, being on television, all the achievements of my life will amount to nothing to God. Because in time, no matter what we do in this life, whether it's great or small, good or bad, all of it fades away and we all die. And in our deaths, none of it will do us any good. At that moment, in our deaths, we will all stand before the throne of the Lord and we all have nothing better to do than to throw ourselves upon the Lord's mercy. He looked out at all those prisoners and he said, I know you think we're different, but we're the same. Because when we die, we all go before the Lord and none of us will have anything to show for our lives. I mean, that struck me really, really hard. Thinking about this incredible theologian who saw in the people that we toss away equality, that he could speak a word of truth to a people undeserving, that he could count them among himself among their ranks. Because he's right. No matter how good we are or how bad we are, we will all stand before the throne, and we will all have nothing else to rely on, not our works, not our achievements, but only the mercy of God. And that's why Jesus can look out at the crowds and tell them, go lose your lives for the good news. Because the only one who can redeem their lives and ours is Jesus. No amount of good works ever puts us back in God's good graces. It's only the unknowable love of God in Christ Jesus that makes us holy, that makes us worthy of the mercy that God offers to us. Martin Luther wrote that the law says, do this, do this, do this, and we never do it. Grace, on the other hand, says, believe in this, and everything is already done. The world is forever telling us to do more to be better, to produce, to reform, and things largely stay the same. Jesus, on the other hand, is forever telling us that the most important thing is already done, and the only thing we have to do is trust. Uh, but Peter, Peter's just like us. He wants to be the master of his own fate. He wants to be in control of what happens and to whom. His imagination of the kingdom of God is limited by his imagination of earthly things. But Jesus didn't come to bring us more of the same. He came to raise the dead, and the dead can't raise themselves. I like to think that in this moment, Peter is losing his religion. Religion, that is, is the stuff that we do in order to get a higher power to do something for us. And Jesus takes all of Peter's religion his former understanding of the way the world works, and he flushes them down the toilet. It's like he looks at Peter and says, you don't get it, Pete. You're so obsessed with it making sense that you think you know what I have to do. You think you know what you have to do. But here's the deal, Pete. I'm going to do everything. And I'm going to do everything for you and for everyone else. 
The good news of Jesus Christ is that God loves us whether we stop sinning or not. Because our sins are no problem for the Lord who takes away the sins, not of just my life or your life, but takes away the sins of the world, nails them to the cross, and leaves them there forever. The good news of Jesus Christ is that all the earthly means and measures of success don't mean beans in the kingdom of God. Because the Lord has already gone and accepted every last one of us in his Son and loves us in spite of us. The good news of Jesus Christ is that even our deaths can't stop the Lord from getting what he wants because the Lord works in the business of raising the dead. We can spend our whole lives in fear, like Peter, wondering if we'll ever measure up to the expectations of the world, but that's usually when Jesus shows up in the midst of our lives, offering a different kind of word. He says, follow me. Jesus didn't come to improve the improvable or reform the reformable or teach the teachable because none of those things work. He didn't come to bring a better version of already was, but to transform everything. We can follow Jesus and we can lose our lives because Jesus came to raise the dead. And that's good news. So we offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Would you all please pray with me? Lord of all power and might, the author and the giver of all good things, graft into our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us faith. Nourish us with your goodness. Bring forth in us love for you and for neighbor. This we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. One of my favorite things I ever get to say as a pastor is this. Christ, our Lord, invites to his table and to his meal all. No matter how good you are or bad you are, no matter how old you are or young you are, Christ invites to his table all. All. But before we come to the table, before we partake in the feast, it is good and right for us to pray and to confess the truth of who we are. So please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Lord, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts and with our whole selves. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not heard the cry of the needy. We have failed again and again and again and again. And yet you can do things that we can't. You can make a way where there is no way. You are the Lord of impossible possibility. And so in spite of how bad or good we might be, you delight in inviting us to your meal, a foretaste here and now of the supper of the Lamb that goes on forever and ever, that we might see you are God and we are not. Now hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were sinners, not before we were sinners, not after we were sinners, but in the midst of our sins, Christ died for us, and that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And all God's people say, Amen. Typically in worship, it's at this moment that we all stand from our pews and we walk around and we share signs of Christ's peace, which is just about the best way to spread the coronavirus. So we're not going to do that, obviously. But I thought it might be fun 
if we all honked our horns for like 10 seconds to pass the piece with everyone's here. So on the count of three, let's just honk our horns. Ready? One, two, three. And now we know that all of our vehicles are still safe to drive on the road. It's very good. Would you all please pray with me? Lord, we have gathered in this strange way, in this strange time, in this strange place. But really, is it that strange? Lord, Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. From gathering in basements, to gathering in sanctuaries, to gathering in parking lots, to partake in the meal, the spiritual nourishment for our life here and now, a foretaste of things yet to come. We are mindful, O Lord, that on the night in which your son gave himself up for us, he took bread. He gave it to his friends, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. I'm giving it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, Lord, we remember that your son also took a cup. He gave thanks to you. He gave it to his friends, and he said, Take and drink. This is my blood. It's a new covenant. I'm pouring it out for you and for the world for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. That's what we're here to do, O Lord, to remember. To remember and to anticipate what you have done, but also give thanks for what you are doing and what you will do through us and through others. And I pray, Lord, that you might pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and the blood of your Son, that in feasting we might be more like his body redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with each other and one in ministry to all people in all places, this day and every day. Amen. And now let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We, though, are many. We are, in fact, one in the body of Christ. And we, though we are sinners, we are forgiven in the blood of Christ. This is the good news of the gospel for you and for me and for the world. In just a moment, I will take the basket of communion elements and I will bring them to each of our respective cars. As I shared before, uh, the way that these communion cups work, there's two different layers. The top layer houses the wafer, so you can peel that back and then intake the wafer, and then you take the second layer off and there is the grape juice underneath. But this is God's gift for us, for those of us who still have our religion and for those of us like Peter who are losing it. Because God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. He could even do something like give up himself for us, that we might live forever and ever. Amen.